Technology and food have to be in the top five passions for any nerd. I'm Chris Riley, tech advocate for Splunk, SweetCode contributor, and bad coder turned dev enthusiast. I sit down to eat with techies to talk about modern technologies, careers in tech, and advancement in development practices. My employer does not own or sponsor this podcast. My thoughts are my own, and no guests were drugged or coerced during the recording. This is Developers Eating the World. All right, so with Dan Hollerin, co-worker extraordinaire, back at Splunk office. I'm really being lazy as hell the last two episodes. <laughs> the last episode was here. Gotten desperate. Yeah. So what's your favorite episode? My favorite episode? Oh, geez. <laughs> uh, I knew you were going to put me on the spot. Uh, the only one I've listened to was the uh, 28th episode. Yeah, what was that about? Oh, geez. I don't remember. <laughs> I only listened to it to try all to right, yeah, figure out the quality whatever. of the podcast. Whatever. That's all that matters to you? Yeah. As if I'm doing a good job yeah, or not? Exactly. Yeah. Don't I'm just trying stupid. to make sure you're advocating hard enough to the right people. Yeah. Am I a good advocate? Yeah. Pretty decent? Yeah. From what I've seen. Content? Yeah. All right. I well, like your focus on content. Yeah. Why is that? Well, so I'm in content marketing, um, so my focus is always on creating good quality content that also drives leads into the sales funnel. What makes practitioners okay with the content that you put out? Uh, It's useful. It's actually beneficial for people that are in the industry, people that are trying to build CICD pipelines, people who are trying to conduct organizational change, things like that. Those are fancy terms. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, I think uh, it matters. It's what people want to read, so you serve them. It's like I also write outside of this, just like fiction and things like that, and I write stories that I want to read, so I think the same yeah. thing goes for IT developers. Um, people that, you know, they, they want to read what they know and what makes sense to them. How do you think most techies learn about stuff? They search for specific problems around whatever it is, uh, vanilla Kubernetes, uh, Docker Swarm, they have specific problems with tools, specific problems with uh, the way they build their teams. And so I think the biggest thing is they, they Google an exact problem they're having and they want stack out overflow articles or they read posts in Reddit from people who've experienced the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, high so. value, like, like you said, content that actually provides value. Yeah. Like you can read it and walk away with something versus going, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. What a novel idea. (laughs) Well, and it's not just keyword stuffing. It's not just a bunch of, you know, baloney. And that's where I I always feel like I'm slightly from the outside looking in where I want to start connecting with these people more. And so it works to work closer with you or with the engineers on our team to better understand these principles or these processes that people should be doing and then try to take my marketing lens and make it so people can actually find this stuff. Because techies hate marketers. Oh yeah, You're kind of the enemy. But it's weird because I've also done, like dabbled in some front end stuff, done some Ruby on Rails tutorials and things like that. I'm not by no means a developer, but I do, like my brother is also a super science-y guy and I feel like I connect with like the developer mindset a lot more even though what I do because I always think of writing very similarly to that of writing code it's like sentence structure in English has to be the same as it is in code right yeah except code makes sense like there's logic you don't have words like (laughs) 
piqued my interest. Yeah, that is, there's logic. Where's the logic? It should it's be a word. Peak is a word. Peak. No, it's it's a different word. P I Q U E. I never learned that word. It's all it's all good. That this is why I edit the stuff that you write. You know. <laughs> is it hard to edit my content? Not really. I mean, sometimes it's hard for me when it gets into like a very technical subject matter, and I'm trying to make sure that things need to be capitalized correctly, or something like that, or like going through a transcriptions for our own podcast um like sometimes it'll spell like pearl it'll just write p-e-a-r-l and i'm like well that's a programming language and i need to know those types of things and if you don't actually read through everything and kind of digest and do research or ask the people that i need to uh if this is real then like i could mess it up so yeah do you think there's too much content out there like to oh, be yeah. dead devil's advocate I mean, There's podcast, definitely... podcast, talking to another person about a podcast, <laughs> going to make a new podcast Talking next about week. content that we'll release, yeah. <laughs> um, yes, definitely. I think a lot of people are concerned with quantity, especially in content marketing. There's this idea of, of putting out a whole bunch of stuff, so eventually you'll rank for things. And it, to a certain extent, that's true because you want to be found for a multitude of different subject matter, but it's really more quality over quantity because even if you create all these different posts, people will still come to your website and they still won't convert to trials or they won't understand what you do. You won't provide value in the content that you create to even if they don't end up using your product. Like it's about building thought leadership and trust with these end users. How do you quantify trust? So I, I totally agree with you. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've always talked about is like, Techies get a pulse or a sense from a vendor. Yeah. Like they like the vendor is not just their product, the vendor is also their personality that they put out there. Right. How do you how do you understand where you fit there? Yeah, no, that's a good question. A lot of it is monitoring uh, like I stay in a bunch of Slack communities and I'll uh, try talking yeah, to people. Didn't you just yeah, that's crazy. I thought I was in a whole bunch of slacks. <laughs> Denver <laughs> no. devs. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, so I'm not just local, devs. though. I'm in a bunch of, like, uh, I think Gremlin's Slack channel is a really good one for chaos engineering. Um, it's also a more progressive topic, so I think you can really figure out how people who are more in this DevOps mindset feel about your tool and how your marketing hits them. Um, the other, like, if you're talking about actual quantifiable metrics and Google Analytics, I like to monitor, monitor uh, page on or time on page. Um, to understand if people are actually getting to our content and reading it um, and the average time if it's you know 30 seconds then they're just coming they're not getting value and they're bouncing away whereas a minute and a half they're actually reading through you know at least a majority of it on on average um, so I think a big thing is is sort of just trying to be creative in the way you stay in touch with the community and keep a pulse on how people feel about your because your brand, like you said, that's a great way to put it. It's like your brand, your company has a brand and it needs to be like a person that other people can trust, which is a weird way to build it out. Of like, I recognize your logo. Yeah, no. I know your tagline. It's no. not that. No, especially not in content marketing. Like a logo is part of it and the brand, but it's really the voice that I try to speak out. And it has to be somewhat casual. It has to be normal it can't just be like business speak like Real. this is why you need blah 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 and like it can't be prescriptive like that it needs to be especially because all of these engineering teams and it organizations are built differently 
Like you can't just say this is the one way to do things. You need to be more of like a, an open-minded individual who's willing to have a conversation about all the different approaches. Yeah, because as soon as you draw a line in the sand, then you get called out. Like, yeah, you're a phony. BS. Yeah, exactly. Like if, if I just sat here with Splunk and Victor Ops and just only talked about like, like this is why you need logging and this is why you need incident management tools and like then you just kind of look silly because you're just pushing your agenda and you're not actually creating value outside of the one purpose that your product builds. Because yeah. Yeah. like the more people inherently, the more people who adopt a CI/CD pipeline and want to get better at ensuring service reliability will come to a tool like VictorOps or something over time. Right. It's, it, it's not something you need to just push in people's faces. So why is it so hard for so many vendors to get this? Like, why are you such a rare unicorn? Um, I don't know if I'd say that, but uh, I think a lot of it is just the way business or the way software has been sold in the past and the way it's sold now is changing a lot more. And I think people honestly might just have more options. And so, so a lot of people who, who did it the old way where they're like, we are a logging tool, this is what we do, or like we do APM, whatever. They just kind of stated their their mission over and over and people started to get it. And and I think developers and, and engineers are so like focused, they know that it's marketing speak, but they still need a tool that does right. that. So it's a lot of these like tools sort understand. of sold themselves over time. Um, but now that you're starting to see more choices and more and more competitors and cloud offerings versus on-prem offerings, like people need to start building more trust in a lot of different avenues. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. It's hard to tell because I think the industry is definitely changing that way and I think yeah. people are starting to realize it. But there's, it's also difficult, I think, from a non-technical perspective to find an outlet to be able to create this type of content that connects with engineers. I mean, I can't tell you how to write um, some query, or I can't tell you how to like set up SQL database deployments or something, you know, like that I can't prescribe that as a, a I'm not skilled enough at doing that kind of a thing. Yeah. So you have to be able to find people who are and get them to talk. And a lot of engineers don't want to write. I mean, they want to write code, but they don't want to write. Right. So how do you, and then you think creatively about, well, can you get them on a podcast? And they don't want to be the last or, to know either. Right, exactly. So there's a unique benefit of those who are willing to put stuff out there as long as they're delivering value. Um, yeah. It's just you don't ever try to fake them. Right. Because as soon as you try to fake it, it's very obvious. Yeah, it becomes very obvious. And I think that's, the approach when I write things um, specifically that go on the blog or or into ebooks or anything like that, I I know where my expertise ends, and and I know where I need to be more technical to understand. So it, it breaks apart two different types of content of more of this like thought leadery stuff. Like I can write about just DevOps adoption and stuff like that all day. Um, when you talk about like getting by and internally, and and I see these things happen in our own engineering team when I sit in with our SRE meetings and things like that. Um, that's another big thing I think from content yeah, is just, just being a participant in the engineering right. culture because the more that I attend PI planning and things like that, I, I, I understand more of the problems that Absolutely. are incurred and I still don't feel like I know as much as I should um, because you know, in between attending sales meetings, marketing meetings, uh, engineering meetings, like you, you, your time is split so many different ways. Um, but I think that's the, the real key is just trying to understand the pain points in these people's lives and then trying to connect yeah. to it. 
I mean, marketing should be integrated with engineering to some extent. Oh yeah. At one point, the title for that was Growth Hacker. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't particularly like that title, but yeah, I get it. Um, yeah, and I think that's the way business is going now. Like yeah. with soft SaaS business models, product and marketing are really not that different. And then you get the product marketing, the traditional um, product marketing setup is not looking like it used to. Um, because product and marketing should be like talking anyway. There should right. be more connection around how you run digital campaigns around specific functionality in the product or how do you nurture people who are in trials. And, and so it's, it's, it's kind of blurring the lines between what's product, what's marketing, um, who owns what pieces of that free trial motion. Um, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Where do you serve content in that product, like in that process? Has living in the Boulder bubble helped you? Uh, well, it's helped me probably, but I don't know if it helps everyone. Well, not if but you're outside the I, bubble. No, but I started, I worked at a bank before I ever worked in any kind of tech. And uh, I'd always wanted to start my own business or work in startups. And so I finally, coming to Boulder was a great opportunity for that, where there's, there were a lot of very small startups. I worked for two that eventually went under, just ran out of funding. Um, but the the intro into the tech community helped me learn a lot. And I will say working in smaller um, businesses and more of a tight community feel that I don't feel like you get out in Silicon Valley or something like that helped me learn a lot more about what these engineers are feeling or, um, yeah, exactly. That's nice. Yeah, being, I mean, because like I work with one product manager, I'm the only marketing person. There's like two salespeople. You can really understand like, you have to understand what each of these people do on a day-to-day -day basis. So it helps you learn more about the business as a whole and it helps me start to understand what our engineers are running into. I mean, like, like logging is a great example because I did customer support for the first software company I worked at. And whenever there was an issue, I would send just a text file of logs to uh, our mobile developer and he would just look through. I don't even know what he was looking for. There was no search functionality. We had no tool to look through logs. So it helps me understand from a marketing lens, like the value brought by Splunk. And that's a very small example of it. Yeah. But, but that's key. Like you don't have to understand all the details. I think that's also a challenge is most techies. If they don't, the imposter syndrome is tremendous. Yeah. If they don't understand it fully, then they don't understand it at all. <laughs> so, but well, there's a ton of value of like getting this information via osmosis. Right, and you don't need to understand everything either zero or, or 100, you know? It's sometimes having a somewhat of an understanding. In fact, that's what uh, we talk about a lot in our content of like a DevOps mindset is this T-shaped person, you know, these soft-minded oh, things. Oh. But, but I do think there's value to that around like the concept of someone who is Soft great, skills. yeah, someone who's great at, you know, Java, let's say whatever the one thing is, but they also are willing to learn Scala and they know JavaScript a little bit and they understand um, the, you know, like the different pieces of the deployment structure or the QA system. Like How's that know. going for you, by the way? You said you were gonna learn JavaScript. Oh, it's starting, yeah. Yeah? I mean, I did, I learned the syntax through Code Academy like two years ago, but that didn't actually help me with okay. the implementation of it at all. <laughs> So I want to get back into it, but I don't think it'll be that difficult. But yeah, my 2020 resolutions are uh, getting back into front-end development. And in just kind of my content marketing lens, the future of content marketing is going to be highly interactive. 
So part of, I think, a skill that content marketers need to learn in today's day and age, especially in software, is things like JavaScript, or at least some simple front-end languages, so that you can create interactive content on your own. It's so crazy. you can create games and things like that. Even um, games? Even uh, the sales teams and companies like Splunk, yeah, like they just have to be a lot more technical. Yeah, and you play the buzzword bingo all day long trying to explain stuff. Right, and then it changes. Yeah, that's the other thing is it changes so quickly. It's like there's no point in trying to become an expert right. necessarily in any one thing because you have to be able to adapt. Totally. I mean, it's like when I first moved here, Ruby on Rails was the big thing, and that's why I wanted to start learning it. And I know that that's not the huge language anymore. I don't really know what's replaced it these days, but I just, I've heard that that isn't the end-all be-all that yeah. everyone's writing well, That's in. the way, yeah, that's the way it is with everything. Yeah. So speaking of terms, what's your favorite industry term right now? Favorite industry term? And it can't be one of ours. It can't be one of what? Ours. Oh, well, I don't I think it is. I guess that's not really fair. Well, we don't, we don't really use a lot of the terms. Like DevOps, we stick to. SRE is a big one. I think one I find most interesting, and I remember because you just wrote a post on this, is uh, site reliability engineering and why it should be called service reliability engineering. Oh. And I remember before you'd started here, and I was working with uh, Jason Hand. Jason Hand. That, uh, he, he, he was talking <laughs> about, uh, or I asked him one time because I was, I was just researching SRE for the first time. It was like three months in. I was like, why is it called site reliability? Like I didn't understand it. And that's because I've like come up in the age of like cloud infrastructure that I, I legitimately, my first thought was like more of a platform engineer, not a someone in a physical data center that will fix these types of right. things. And like this, this idea of like always being on site isn't always true anymore because there are, most p businesses don't operate with physical data center right. sites. So, site could be like a specific asset too. Right, exactly. I mean, it could be anything, I guess, but it, it just seems odd, but especially when you talk about a, the holistic view of what you're upholding. It's not a site, it's the service. Yeah, so you're, you're delivering a service. In. It's microservice. Yeah. Like everything is service. Yeah. It just seems to make sense. Right. Which, the, the thing I like about it, and goes back to SRE as being customer obsessed. Yeah. That's what Jonathan talks about. And if you think of everything as a service, then you are customer obsessed. Totally. Obsessed. Yeah, because you're, you're thinking about the end experience, not just, you know, are the servers up? or are the servers performant? You're looking at what does the user actually see? Because you and Jonathan were talking the other day about you know, there's a big difference between the, the system is up, but your, your users are still experiencing like a three second delay in the, the product or whatever. It, it turns people right. off. So like SRE is not just about maintaining uptime, it's about maintaining like performance that actually makes people happy. Yeah, so for context, Jonathan is an SRE here mm -hmm. And Jason Hand is the previous ad advocate yep. that, I'm, that I'm attempting to backfill. <laughs> but it's difficult. At Jason Hand on Twitter if you want to follow him. has great SRE content. So, yeah. So, latency is the new downtime. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it might as well be. Yeah. If you click on a button and you don't get a response, people it's essentially still down. lose their shit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and if you're talking about it from a marketing perspective, like if our free trial button just has so much latency that people decide to give up. I mean, that's, that could be a potentially, you know, potential lost customers. 
So, and, and then you talk about in the trial, you lose people who are prospects. I mean, there's, there's all these different steps. And then well, you have custom, current customers who have problems in your product. Then you lose current customers. I mean, so you have churn, you have lost potential business. The opportunity cost of like the difference between a one second load and a 10 second load is actually a lot more than you might right. think it is because it's a cascading effect. Yeah. And savvy users can tell, oh yeah, like from the outside in, if your development sucks. Right. I mean, I know a bad application when I see it pretty quickly. Yeah. Like Nextdoor. <laughs> <laughs> Nextdoor sucks. If you're a developer for Nextdoor. Well, I never use Nextdoor, so I don't oh know yeah, that. that's right. You don't do the suburbia mm -mm. thing. Nope. Little box. Two bedroom apartment for me. True millennial. Yeah. Or just, just expensive cost of living in Boulder. <laughs> Could be it. Oh, it pays off. Look at that. I like the views are gorgeous. Yeah, Snow. skiing all the time. Yeah, I still haven't figured that out. I still have, <laughs> not fully Colorado until I figure the skiing out. All right, I'm going to play the terminology game with you. Okay, let's do um, it. ops. What, what, what am I supposed to I don't to know. Give me your reaction. Uh, I don't know if it needs ops in front or after it. Okay, why? To me, it's just Git is a technology you use for source control. You don't actually, I mean, it's operations no matter what. I guess it just depends on who you assign it to. Right. And I guess the, the idea behind it is that it, it fits into like more of a DevOps mindset of like. The idea is that it's more of um, infrastructure as code. Right. It's actually yeah. pretty much the same as infrastructure as code, as long as you assume that you version all of your code. Yeah. So that's <clears throat> It no is ops. what it is. No ops. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that one, really. I mean, I, I think it's, it's kind of inherent of, as to what will happen. Why? Based on like the growth in AWS cloud infrastructure or anything like that. You disagree? Well, somebody's managing a, uh, AWS. That's they? true. That's true. There's but, always an so operator. So yes, there will be an operator somewhere. I think for a lot of businesses, though, no ops is a is a like if you're like a hundred person business and you're clearly not maintaining your own servers or anything like that, then you're sort of operating no ops. That's why it's kind of a weird term. But if you're a developer <laughs> and it's full shift left and you're releasing your own code, that is you're operating. If you're yeah. supporting it, you're operating. Yeah, you're you're just not a traditional operations person per se. By the time there is no no ops, there'll be no developers either, because that just means that everything's going to be everyone's written ops. autonomously. Yeah, yeah. When you have no ops, there's everyone's ops. There you go. Yeah. Every ops. Every ops. <laughs> That's the, the new, new term. <laughs> Any ops. All right. Started here. Every ops. All right. AI ops. Uh. That's an interesting one, for no sure, comment. especially, well we, well, we talk about it a lot here, um, and we're really sort of dabbling more in, like, very basic automation and machine learning before you, we, like, we're not getting into, like, but true AI like you see in iRobot or anything like that, um, but these things are very functional for what you can do to improve the, the, the incident life cycle, the software delivery life cycle. The term should not beget the value. Like, it should be the other way around. We use the term yeah. to de without describing the value. Right. Yeah, describe the value first and, and, and then, then talk about the, term. the intelligence. I do think uh, there could be a little bit of fear in the industry around the idea of AI ops, too. 
of like yeah. the stories people tell about automating themselves out of jobs. It's like that was a DevOps problem. Just imagine if you have robots doing this for developers too. So now everyone's worried about losing their jobs. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think you know enough about tech if you think that that's actually what's happening. Yeah, true. <laughs> I, I think no ops is more offensive to people. Because that just <laughs> it's straight the same, up is It's the same saying, logic, though. Yeah, I mean, people just to fear, extent, right? Yeah. But it, things aren't getting easier. Yeah. So as long as things aren't getting easier, you have to augment that additional effort with something. Right. And it's probably not going to be people because... You know, we normally don't say, let's hire more people. Yeah. So you're That's right. True. No ops and AI ops essentially are pointing at the same problem. Yeah. I mean, everything's addressing the same problem, essentially. Out of all these terms, that's why all these terms come up. It's just a different approach to the same problem most of the time, which is a unreliable system or a not fast enough um, delivery pipeline. Maybe we should go on term fasting. Just not use any term for three months. I'm so not even just in in the DevOps world, but I just have never been a big fan of acronyms. Even when I was like in college, and everyone would, would abbreviate everything and create, uh, yeah, it's just just say what it is. It helps me better understand it. And, and I think about this a lot when I write because people won't always understand what I'm saying in a term if I just keep saying AI ops because it could mean something totally different to someone else too. So. I mean, I think everyone has the same general gist of what it means, but I don't know. It's explain what you're talking about. Like you said, talk about the value first. It's hard, though. Point the term. It's so easy just to get into the trap of shorthand. It's yeah. basically just shorthand. Yeah. And, I mean, I do it all the time myself. Because nobody's ever not wanted to release. Well, that's not true. I think project managers and business analysts mm -hmm. long ago didn't want to release things quickly. But for the most part, most people want to get stuff out the door. Yeah. They I don't think, say they don't want to get stuff out the door. Right. You definitely won't say that publicly. I, that's want, for sure. I want the principles and practices <laughs> that make me go slower. Right. And I think uh, the other interesting thing in software right now is, like, from a marketing lens, I think people in the business are even starting to realize the competitive advantage of a faster engineering team. And, and so it's not only yeah. just what you talk about, but providing these incremental advancements in the product and how you can start selling it faster and faster. And you don't need to build out a full, you know, you don't need a year to build out one feature. Just keep adding small parts of that feature throughout the year and you actually gain customers incrementally more quickly. Yeah, that relies on feature flagging. Yeah. That's my new favorite thing. Yep, I'm, I was big on that. I didn't realize, uh, like we've always done that here, um, right. but I saw Launch Darkly's booth at a, um, I think it was a DevOps days, Denver or something, like right after I'd started here. And I had no idea that was a, a tool that exists. And yeah. I thought that was really cool. I mean, it, it, it's just a simpler user interface to do this control of what your customers use. Right. I, I think support teams everywhere should be using feature flagging. Oh yeah. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the marketing around feature flagging, talking about marketing and content is not doing it justice because it's usually around deploy and production type stuff. Yeah. Which is not the overall value. No. Anybody I know that uses feature flags, they're not using it because they want to deploy them in production. Right. They're using it as a better system of releasing functionality over a long period of time, but also going from plan to, to prod in a continuous mm -hmm. way. Yeah. It also helps you, yeah, exactly. Like you can you can release an alpha version of a feature, have a few people test it. 
Um, and then as soon as it's good to go, I mean, you might even be able to just skip beta and just go straight to GA if you find that people like it. Look and, at you throwing out those terms. Uh, hey, man, I'm, I'm sitting in all, the, yeah, in all the product meetings. There we go. That's me using all a my acronyms. That, a marketer that knows, knows some <laughs> shit. Well, you do. You know a lot. You do stuff with like Periscope and that's pretty nerdy. Yeah. Write some Data. SQL. Uh, very basic. Sequels. I get a lot of help from our like data visualization guy. But yeah, just uh, basically dabbling in some cool stuff I do is like with our practitioner content, I can break it down by theme, um, who wrote it, so I can start tracking who's like what what content is resonating with our audience based on the theme that they're reading. Like, are we attracting more people interested in SRE? Are we attracting people interested in chaos testing, uh, CI/CD, whatever the the term is, it becomes hard to sort of track and then, but we can see what resonates with our audience and then also what helps drive business, obviously. Yeah. So. See, marketers have feelings too. <laughs> marketers are also people. I feel like everyone And the modern has. marketer cares. Like yeah. They don't just want to fluff because they know that has a very short lifespan. Right. Which is absolutely true. All right, Dan. Well, Thanks for joining. Yeah. You know, Thanks, Chris. And to beg you, and let's uh, I'll do let's it again. Go, okay. Yeah, let's On do episode, episode forty. 40. Yeah. All right, yeah. <laughs> and let's go start another podcast right now. All right, number Perfect. five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks.